Lewis Hamilton returns to the scene of his seventh title, but in 2021, he leads Max Verstappen by just two points ahead of the Turkish Grand Prix. Hello and welcome to another F1 Strategy Report recap. My name's Michael Laminato, and this is a preview of the 2021 Turkish Grand Prix for Apex Race Manager, the mobile race simulator. Download it now on iOS and Android. Let's take a look back at last year's race. F1's return to Istanbul after a nine-year hiatus delivered one of the most unusual races of recent seasons. Fresh resurfacing work had been completed just days before the sport arrived, leaving the track greasy with bitumen. Then the rain arrived and persisted throughout the weekend, combining with the oils of the road to rob it almost completely of grip. Qualifying was a lottery won by a composed Lance Stroll and Racing Point, while Mercedes struggled badly in the cool and slippery conditions. Lewis Hamilton, gunning for his seventh title, just couldn't generate tyre temperature and qualified sixth, and almost five seconds off the pace. Rain continued for the race and Stroll led early from teammate Sergio Perez, but when wet tyres became intermediates, Lewis Hamilton began to find his rhythm. The longer he stuck with the tyre, the more he could build core temperature, until all of a sudden the rubber was alive. He blitzed the field and charged into the lead, running almost the entire race on a single set of green Pirellis. They were practically slicks by the flag, which worked perfectly in the drying conditions. A record equaling seventh championship was his. It was a race all about feel in treacherous conditions, and to discuss the wacky weekend, I was joined by F1 freelancer and co-host of the In The Fast Lane podcast, Matt Clayton. How exciting that we get to talk about things like bitumen and asphalt. <laughs> uh, but that really was the key difference, if you wanted to pick one between 2011 and this year, never mind the key strategic point of this race, but that was the key difference, wasn't it? That this surface, prepared only 10 days in advance, was not offering much in the way of driving group. No, not at all. And I think a factor that wasn't really discussed much over the weekend, normally we used to be here in May. It mm. was one of the early rounds of the season. So that circuit was a, a little bit more of a chance to actually get some sunlight. But even when it wasn't draining, or whatever you want to call it, it wasn't draining, that's for sure. But even when it wasn't throwing water down for the whole weekend, there was just no temperature in this circuit surface at all. It had been resurfaced so recently that all of the oil just hadn't baked in. There was no support race categories. So the whole weekend... The circuit never really evolved, never got a decent blast of sun across the weekend. You add these cars are so different to what we had here nine years ago, and you're adding, you know, you're six months later in the year as uh, that part of the world starts to head into the colder time of the season. So it was the, the perfect storm for what ended up being one of the least predictable and most chaotic races we've seen for a long, long while, because if the participants have got no idea what's going on, then I'm not <laughs> sure how we're supposed to. If you wanted an idea of that greasiness, because it was talked about a lot on the weekend and you don't necessarily see it on the TV. You can see that the surface is shiny and then obviously it rained so you couldn't see much other than the water. But if you saw during the race how dirty the cars looked, even after half distance or even earlier in some cases, particularly the, the brighter cars, I suppose, that wasn't mud from drivers going off the track because indeed this race was kept pretty clean, all things considered, for these conditions. That was all just oil off the road, the, mud, the dirty water, to give you a sense of what it must have been like to drive in those conditions. It was unbelievable. The McLarens and the Renaults particularly looked like they needed a, a stint through the local car wash yeah. afterwards. They were just covered in grime. It was like 
like you've just done like a, a big cross-country drive and you've got bugs all over the windshield and just all <laughs> sorts of dust and grit and dirt. We just don't see Formula One cars looking like this because it's all so pristine. And, it's, and even the other thing that you mentioned about the track surface, it was interesting when people did run wide, you found that slippery green paint had more adhesion than the actual racetrack, which <laughs> is not something that we say particularly often. So it was a bizarre set of circumstances. But yeah, the uh, whoever had the, uh, the, the, the car wash contract for uh, Turkey's probably done quite well over the course of the weekend. <laughs> Absolutely cashed in, I think. <laughs> this race very much came to Lewis because he seemed very lost after Friday practice and after qualifying, it has to be said. The Mercedes car didn't really seem to enjoy these conditions. He said he actually made no setup changes on Friday at all. Again, perhaps a function of the fact he didn't do that much running in the first place. Made some changes Friday, didn't help for qualifying. In the first third of this race, he was almost half a minute off the pace, a third of the way into this race, just to really underline how uncomfortable that Mercedes car was. And then things really started to change once you moved to that intermediate tyre. What can we glean from the conditions changing from about third distance about what turned that deficit into a half-minute advantage? It's interesting. You only need to compare the driver in the system Mercedes. Um, Valtteri Bottas had miserable with a capital M race (laughs) here in Turkey. But you look at once Hamilton got onto the Inters, and I think there's – it's one of those more – it's a high-risk, high-reward situation for him, which I think brings out the best in him. And I think one of the underrated parts of the way he drives these days, he's involved into this fantastic tyre manager. And that's not something that you would have said about him earlier in his career, where it was just basically living off just pure speed and combative ability and wheel-to-wheel stuff. But he's become this fantastic manager of tyres. And you do wonder, you know, inadvertently at least, I mean, he was paired at McLaren with probably the best guy in these half wet, half dry or very sketchy conditions in Jensen Button. I wonder if there's some sort of something of of Jensen that's in Lewis's driving these days that perhaps he doesn't get necessarily the credit for. But once there was more room for him to improvise, he just completely came alive and his ability to deal with fading tyres, you only had to look at the tyres on the car by the end of it. He did 50 laps on a set of inters to the point where they were basically completely worn down. And we'll get to the what happened at the end of the race with the pit stop that he didn't take a little bit later, I'm sure. But um, his ability to read the conditions while being on the less than ideal tyre is one of the many things that sets him apart. But it's probably the biggest differentiator in what separates him from the rest of the field. But I think there was so much at play here as well that was patience. And the patience here to let those tyres come to him, let the conditions come to him. And we can contrast this here, I think, with Lance Stroll, for example. I know it's a little bit unfair because there is an experience gap and certainly a machinery gap here. But whereas Stroll had built a lead early in the race, then it started to close back in. And then, of course, he struggled further on. We'll talk about that second pit stop in a second. But was really struggling to clean up the graining on these tyres. Because while these were intermediate tyres and they were intermediate conditions, it was still so cold that graining was a problem. Hamilton just pushed through that to the point where he knew the tyres were going to come back to him. Then all of a sudden found that extra performance. The tyres, ironically, towards the end of the race, because they were so worn down, worked as slicks in what were (laughs) arguably slick conditions. So that even worked to his advantage. But that patience and I think experience gap there as well shouldn't be understated. Especially, I mean... I think it speaks a lot to the fact that he beat a lot of experienced drivers with this strategy as well. Yeah, there's a composure element to Hamilton's driving now. And sometimes I wonder, I'm not saying that the conversations he has with the pit wall are for show, but I'm wondering if that's a way for him to perhaps verbally release some of the tension that he's feeling that enables him to sort of free his mind up to play the long game a little bit more, which I think is another part of the great evolution of him as a champion. And you could see, you know, conversely to this, Lance Stroll was 
fantastic in the first half of this race, let's be honest. But as soon as things started to get a little bit sideways and he was wondering, you know, should we be on you know uh, slicks at this point? There's a dry line. And he started to get a little agitated. When you don't have the data bank to draw upon, Hamilton can look at this and say, oh, yeah, I've done this before in you know, XYZ races. Stroll's in very unfamiliar territory. He's feeling the, the noose tighten a little bit here. And he's thinking, I need to do something else because if we keep doing things the way we're doing them, I'm not going to win this race and as much as these guys are trying to take it particularly in a race like this corner by corner lap by lap you could see that the long game was starting to appear in his consciousness and he was jumping at shadows a little bit I thought and his composure was so good when he was out front when things were on his terms but then when the rest of the pack started to come back at him you could sense a I don't know if panic's quite the right word, but I think you know what I mean. There was a lack of clarity in his decision-making at this point, where Hamilton is going to say, this is a long race. We're doing two-minute laps here, guys. We've got 58 laps to go around here. I can just bide my time and bide my time because I know that I can clean these tyres up. Once I do that, then it's a different race. But Stroll perhaps didn't have quite the patience and composure and, as you say, the experience to, to really go down that path. This middle part of the race was all set up, strangely enough, by Ferrari, who even at this point, though Vettel was running quite high up you didn't expect to play such a defining part in the Grand Prix actually came the impetus impetus did from Charles Leclerc much further down the grid was 14th after the first lap and perhaps seized a little bit by a nothing to lose mentality at both pit stop windows was the first driver to switch to, to new intermediates at the first pit stop window in particular everyone pretty much followed him in because he was extremely quick that second stop in particular was race defining not necessarily for him i mean it did bring him up into podium contention but race defining because one driver who took the bait who ultimately probably shouldn't have was lance stroll with the lead of the race you mentioned a little bit earlier on when you could see that the field was closing up having had a fairly commanding advantage early in the race started to get a bit jumpy and i think what was really interesting and this may i mean it'll be interesting to see how he digests this i suppose but he was told he was going to pit Sounded a bit jumpy about that. They delayed the pit stop, but ultimately went with the team's advice. His tyres had been graining, but on new tyres, substantially worse graining. you got to wonder if he's thinking afterwards, should he have gone with his gut a little bit here and just held on to those tyres? Because it could have been a very different result for him had he done it. Well, you only have to look about... At what happened on the other side of the garage. We know how good Sergio Perez is at managing tyres. He could probably do about three races on a set of tyres the way he normally goes. But you wonder if there's a sense of inherent pressure there for Stroll, knowing that your teammate in the sister car is probably better at tyre management than you. Mm. And you're thinking, I need some sort of an advantage here because he's still, the at this point of the race, the driver most likely to beat me. And there's all of the, you know, Perez leading the team, Stroll staying in the team, all of that. You wonder if at least subconsciously how much of that is playing in his mind. In the end, he's he you know, he didn't back his his gut, or he wasn't able to convince the team to to follow through on what he initially wanted to do. And in the end, they kind of sat in a bit of a halfway house. They didn't go early enough for the tyre stop. They didn't stay out long enough to really get the benefit to, to cover Perez. And then, you know, he's two-thirds of the way through the race and he's basically dominated the race. He finished 72 seconds behind Lewis Hamilton. It's unbelievable that you could lose that much time in 22 laps. But a lot of that was uh, between the ears as opposed to uh, the hands gripping the steering wheel, I think, in those last 20 laps. For taking that bait, that really cost him the race. Perez didn't. I guess a combination of knowing that he's very very good at stretching those stints. I'm glad Racing Point lent on that because there have been races where they haven't in this season. That's cost Perez and Hamilton as well. And 
if we want to go back to the experience marker, he wasn't going to stop at that second pit stop window, but once he'd built up a pit stop worth of time to Perez in second, just to underline how strong he was in this race, he was offered what Mercedes called a safety stop. Mm-hmm. And he's he recalled immediately after the race the 2007 Chinese Grand Prix when he lost that year's championship effectively under steering in the pit lane. It's that experience again playing it there. He knew that there was a risk to stopping, knew he could make the tyres last, and that well, was Even decisive. Valtteri Bottas had pitted not too long before that, and the pit lane entrance was so treacherous. And you can, you know, you can mm. throw... I mean, George Russell hit the, uh, hit the, hit the, did a David Coulthard and hit the wall on the way on the reconnaissance <laughs> laps to the grid. And, you know, you had Max Verstappen was investigated for a penalty for, you know, drifting out on the really wet pit lane exit. It's one of those things... Yeah, okay, look, it's nice to have a nice uh, fresh set of boots on and you've got the time to do it, but you're introducing elements that are out of your control necessarily. You could you know, slide on a wet pit lane apron or there could be someone else out in the lane that delays you or something along those lines. But as you were saying, it's interesting that you know he filed back through the, the, the Rolodex of many, many years of races and thought, hmm, I ended up in the world's smallest gravel trap in Shanghai 13 years <laughs> ago. And it basically cost him a world championship. You know, We're talking about him winning a record-equaling seventh world championship. He probably should have won the world championship in his rookie year, but for that mistake in 2007. But the clarity of thought in a situation like that, of course he would have wanted new tyres for those last couple of laps and you've got the margin to do it. But why take a risk that you don't need to. And it was interesting when there was some discussion that, look, there could be some rain in the last couple of laps. It's going to come in at turn eight. And he was like, leave leave it with me. I'll manage this. And that's confidence born out of being in similar situations before and, you know, fluffing your lines from time to time. But I'm not sure every driver in that situation would have been able to process that. And they would have thought, well, yeah, look, I do need to make the uh, inverted commas safety stop. And uh, that just opens a can of worms on a day where things were going wrong for people all over the place. Why add a random element when you've got this race completely on your terms? That was last year. Let's look ahead now to this weekend's Turkish Grand Prix. The Istanbul form guide is hard to read. The 2020 race was so unusual, the conditions so difficult, that it offers little guidance for this season. The track surface has been cleaned by a high-pressure water treatment, which should have eliminated the worst of the greasiness, and the asphalt will have anyway matured by almost 12 months, which will roughen it up and improve grip levels further. Plus, the weather is milder at this time of year, though there is a risk of rain on Saturday and Sunday. This is an overall demanding track, and Mercedes and Red Bull Racing both see this as an even split between their two cars. It features the high-speed stuff that'll suit Lewis Hamilton's chances, and also the low-speed, pointier corners that'll benefit Max Verstappen. Pirelli is bringing its middle range of tyres, rather than the hardest sets used last year. The track overall puts a lot of energy through the rubber, which will make race tyre management a key factor if the cars end up closely matched. Overtaking is achievable here, and combined, those things should prompt the teams to consider multiple strategies on Sunday, and hopefully deliver an interesting Grand Prix. But this one is very difficult to call. So who will master Istanbul? I'll be back next week to debrief all of the action. Until then, you can subscribe to The Strategy Report wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to follow us on Twitter for our pre-race strategy guide. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast. Special thanks to Ben Loke from Bloke Designs for the show artwork, and our theme music is by Simon Hosford. My name's Michael Amanato, and I'll catch you next week to wrap up the Turkish Grand Prix.